In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will start the book of 1 Samuel. In the book of 1 Samuel, we consider it one of the historical books. So it will be a lot of stories. And the stories usually allow us to see how God works with us. And each one of us can be part of the story. One of the things that's important for us when we're reading the scripture, especially the Old Testament, we see God does not change. So whatever God dealt with, however God dealt with people in the Old Testament, is the same way he's dealing with us today. The same God has not changed. So we learn how God deals with us. The second thing is that when you read the stories in history, you will see how much God was preparing for our salvation and how much we have been on his mind. Because, you know, like when, for example, a gentleman proposes to a young lady, what does he do in the proposal? He tries as much as he can to make it memorable. And he will put all these things that reminds her of when they met and all that stuff. So our Lord, our Lord throughout history, is giving us all these, hem, all these hints of what he's going to do to us. That's why when we read the Old Testament, almost every main character in the Old Testament, we say it reminds us of the work of Christ. So we go through step by step. When we talk about the historical books, so today we're starting the first Samuel. But before we start the book of Samuel, let's kind of see where we are so we kind of understand. After God created Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell. After they fell, God allowed them to work and labor. After they worked and labored, what happened? People started straying away from God. So God said, okay, you know what? I'm gonna almost start a new, a new group of people. He allowed the flood to come. Everybody died except Noah and his children. And through them, God started a new group of people. What happens? People strayed again from God. You will see the whole scriptures about this. Once people strayed away from God, so God said, I'm going to pick a single person. His name is Abraham. And I'm going to talk to him. And I'm going to make him actually be the example. And everybody who wants to know me, they will see how I worked in that human being. How I worked in Abraham. So God spoke with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 children, 12 male children. And each one of them was married. And we know that they were living in the promised land, which is Palestine. It's a very beautiful land. And then what happened was there was a famine. They went to Egypt. In Egypt, over a period of 400 years, the Israelites became about 2 million people. So they became instead of just a small family, they became a big group. Under the slavery, this is the, this is the book of Exodus, by the way, so we talked about Genesis, Exodus. Under the slavery, after 400 years, God sent them Moses to deliver them. He delivered them, he took them out into the desert. They stayed in the desert for 40 years. And in the desert, our Lord gave them food, gave them the manna, and they started learning about the commandments and they started building the Jewish ritual life, the worship life in, in the desert. After Moses, 
Joshua led them into the promised land. And this is the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is basically Joshua leading the people into the promised land. And then he's dividing the land accordingly between the 12 tribes. After Joshua, we start what we call a period of judges. So in Israel, who is going to lead the people? A judge. A judge will come and you're going to come to him and tell him, I have a problem with so and so. He's going to tell you, okay, you should do this. So Joshua was considered to be the first judge. We go through about, we go through about 10 different judges in the book of Judges. Each one is about 40 year period cycle between people straying away, God sending a judge to help them to return to him. And once they return again, they stray away again. God allows them to go to exile. He sends them a savior. The last judge of Israel is Samuel. Okay, that's why I'm telling you the whole story. So it started from a small group that became a big nation. Now they live in the promised land. And the book of Samuel is important because we will go through a transition from judges to kingdom. No longer Israel will become just a tribal group of people, but they will be led by a judge. Yeah, they will be led by a king, sorry. Now, roughly, we say Moses is about 1,500 years before Christ. The period of judges is between 1,400 to 1,000. And then this is the end of, the end of Samuel. And, and then David and Solomon and Saul are about 1,000 before Christ. That's when the kingdom started to, to uh, be built and the, and the temple will be built. So this is just the story to know where we are in history. We see that God has been working to prepare his people to become an example. God did not choose Israel for the sake of Israel. God chose Israel for the sake of all of us. So people in the old days can see Israel and be like, look, their God is great. There's something special about them. And that's why when they sinned, God allowed them to fall because they no longer represent who he is. They no longer represent who he is. And God allowed them to fall until they realized that they need him. And this has been a big part of the life of Israel. Obviously, when we look at the book of Samuel, just to get a small uh, thing to keep in mind, in the Orthodox Church, we consider the book of Samuel one of the historical books. Remember I told you in the Old Testament there are four different types of books. Historical books, there is the Torah, the law of Moses, there are the poetic books, and there are the prophetic books. Prophecy, poetry, historical, and the Torah. These are the four types of, of books. And in the New Testament, we have similar, something similar. The Torah is kind of the four Gospels. The history is the book of Acts. The, the letters of Paul are the, um, the poetic, and then the revelation is the prophet, prophetic. So we in the church consider Samuel one of the historical books. If you look in the Septuagint, so those who have the Orthodox Study Bible, they actually call 1st Samuel and 2nd Samuel, 1st King and 2nd King, and then they have 3rd King and 4th King. So in the regular Bible, we have 1st Samuel, 2nd Samuel, 1st King, 2nd King. If you have the Orthodox Bible, it'll be 1st King, 2nd King, 3rd King, 4th King. This is how they, uh, they, they split it. The question becomes, who wrote the book of Samuel? Okay, well, the book of Samuel speaks about the first, first Samuel, speaks about the death of Samuel. 
So who wrote it? If you open First Chronicles 29, 29, it said, As for the events of King David's reign, from the beginning to the end, they were written in the records of Samuel the seer, the prophet, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the record of Gad the prophet. So there are three prophets actually that wrote the book of Samuel. Samuel the prophet, Nathan, and Gad. These are the three prophets that wrote the book of Samuel. So when you read the book of Samuel, you'll be like, he died halfway through First Samuel. Well, that's okay, because then the thing continued. A lot of people say that they insisted on still calling the book Samuel because Samuel represents a transition between judges and kingdom. And his name was significant to express this period of time. All right? I'm just giving you some historical backgrounds to help us just to understand. The, the book of, there's actually when, when in, the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they looked at it, there's a few manuscripts that has fragments from 1st and 2nd Samuel. And it actually goes back to the 3rd and 1st century before Christ. And this is very significant that we have some of these writing until then. When was it written? So first we said, who wrote it? Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. When was it written? Most likely, right, in the time of, we talk about Samuel and David prophet, around a thousand before Christ. And you can actually, in 1 Samuel 27, 6, it highlights a verse that specifically says, uh, I give, I'll read it for you. So, Akash gave him Zalag that day, doesn't matter, just as a place, therefore Zalag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So whoever is writing is documenting that this city belonged to the king of Judah until that day. And you can historically trace and figure out kind of the time. I'm sorry to do this quickly, but I want to just remind you of something. Many of the scholars these days, they're always trying to doubt the authenticity of the scripture. And they say, for example, that David never existed, Solomon never existed. These are characters of the imagination. But I want to give you some, some things to keep in mind. So in the 19th, it's, it's, uh, 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 so they discovered a 19th century aromatic inscription in Tel Dan in Israel and written on it, Beit Daoud, the house of David. This 19th century before Christ. There's also in one of the very famous Mubites, uh, uh, a stone, it's Mahal Meshastel stone, in line 31, they speak about the house of David. Even also in the Pharaoh writing, they found there's a name, it's, it's, uh, it's actually translated to Hebrew as David, and it goes back to 924 before Christ. So all these things just kind of to, to help us to see that the Beit Dawood, the name of David, is very common. And obviously that's beside the temple and the tradition and all, and all what, what kept this um, until this day. So guys, just to review. Now, 1 Samuel is going to talk to us about the transition between judges and kingdom. Who wrote it? Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. And it was written about a thousand before Christ. And we have some historical evidence that spoke at least about David. If you guys remember the time 1,000 years before Christ or 1,200 years before Christ, that was known to be the Iron Age. The Iron Age, this is the age where people started using iron in their, in their equipments, in their kitchen, in their stores. So the wars that are happening at this time are much different. And now, instead of the big kingdoms that they used to have, Egypt and now the Hittites, now they have smaller, more regions in, in the book of, on the book of uh, First Samuel. That will help us as we go through.
So we'll go very quickly through the structure of 1 Samuel. It's very easy, actually. From chapter 1 to chapter 7, it's the story of Samuel. That's it. From chapter 9 to chapter 15, the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. From 16 to 31, it's the problem between Saul and David. So the book of Samuel speaks about three people. Samuel, Saul, Saul, and David. That's it. Second Samuel is all about David. David the prophet. Okay? So that's the structure of first Samuel. You'll see something interesting. I actually didn't think about this until as I was preparing. First Samuel and second Samuel, they're all surrounded by poetry. First Samuel starts with the song of Hannah, which we're going to discuss maybe today or next time. Second Samuel ends with the song of David and his last words. And then he has a eulogy for Saul and the first Samuel and Jonathan and the first Samuel. So it's almost like the whole story that's happening, it's in between poetry. And people who studied the writing style, they said this is not by accident. It's almost like as if the author is trying to say, look at the work of God, the poetic work of God in the life of his people. Even though his people are sinful, they are weak, they're committing many mistakes and committing many sins, but at the end of the day, God is writing a poem out of their life. And we're going to see how God is using this in their life. The theme usually of, of actually, we'll, we'll talk about this briefly, but first Samuel, just a lot of, the, like the old, a lot of the Old Testament is focused on the sovereignty of God, how God is in control. And then the second theme is the reversal of human fortunes. A lot of times we, we think everything will last the way it is, but the book talks a lot about how God reverses the, the situations of people throughout. And then the other theme is the kingdom the theme of the kingdom, which we're going to talk about in more details. Okay? So now we will start First uh, Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1 is going to talk to us about a beautiful woman. Her name is Hannah the prophet. So we'll take her life slowly. So now we are in Israel. Israel has judges. It's a place where the people are sitting and live, staying in the promised land. It's a tribal area. Every, every tribe is by itself, kind of. And there is now a judge in Israel. His name is Eli. He's a priest and also a judge. And people can go to a place to worship. It's not the temple yet, but there's a place there that you can go and actually worship. It's like a, a tent that they built. So we'll go start it together. Now there is a certain man of Ra Ramathium, Zophim, of the mountain of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, Jerihom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Ziph, and Ephraimites. So, he's first of all, when you start looking at the books of the Old Testament, the first thing they try to do is to define the time and the location. The time and the location. Remember when we studied the book of Daniel, how would they define the time? Because they did not have BC before Christ and after Christ, they would usually define it relative to the king. So they'll be, they'll be saying, for example, the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the second year of the reign of King so-and-so. So here he's defining a time and defining a family. 
and defining a location. So Ramathaim, this is actually today we call it Ramallah. It's nine miles away from Jerusalem. This is the capital of Palestine today. And the word Ramallah means two hills. Some people think it was associated with being two hill, two, between two hills. Okay. Um, Al-Kana, the word Al-Kana means God created. God created. And we'll see actually Al-Kana is a beautiful man who has a beautiful heart, who kind of lived a life to reflect that this man was affected by the word of God. A lot of times in the scripture, when we will read them, you will see that when they mention somebody, they always mention his grand grandparents. And the goal is to see how did this person live relative to his grandparents. They will say, this king is the son of this king, is the son of that king, who is, his father is David the prophet. Why? Because they want to see how do you stand relative to the people you know, the people you experience in your life. Right now, we have lots of role models, lots of saints books, lots of things we can see. In the old days, they did not have that much. The only thing they live off is the memories of their families. And that, why the, this is why very important that the scriptures focus on who is this guy? Who is Alkana? He has a family heritage and you can see did he follow the path of his family or no. Obviously he says he's from Ephraim. And you guys remember, this is just a little bit of history but to remember this. When Joshua divided the land of Israel, he divided on, he divided uh, uh, on about the 11, 11 tribes. There's one tribe that did not get a land, which is the tribe of Levi, the priest, because they are split throughout to serve everybody. But Joseph, remember Joseph had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. So his dad told him that you're gonna take two portions so there still are 12 tribes, but one of the tribes is two from Joseph, and then the Levi have no, no actual location that they stay in. Are you guys following? Did I lose you or no? Okay, let's say it one more time. So when Joshua divided the land, he divided acro across the 12 families that existed. The 12 families are the 12 tribes, okay? But God said, you know what? Levi should not get a land, should not get a house. Why? Because Levi would be the priest, and they will live among different people. And then people, when they work, they give the tithe to the priest. Okay? So that's mean you have 11 tribes because one tribe doesn't get, doesn't get uh, heritage, which is Levi. So remember before uh, Jacob dies, he told Joseph, I'm going to give you two portions. Ephraim and Manasseh, your children, will be counted instead of one tribe, two tribes. And these were two big families. So when he says he's Ephraim, from Ephraim, it means he's from the children of Joseph. Okay? Is that clear or not clear? So the land is divided across 12, people, 12, 12 groups, but those 12 groups represent 11 tribes because one tribe just gets to serve as a priest. I'm sorry, this is a bit, yani, a bit uh, historical, but I think it's important because when you know Alkana, so Alkana is related to Joseph. So Joseph is one of his role model in life, okay? And that helps you to see how he thinks. Now, Alkana, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other is Panina, and Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. 
we might be surprised that we're talking about Elkanah, who's a good man and he has two wives. You might ask why was he allowed to have two wives, okay? In the scripture, it's very clear from Genesis, Genesis 2.24. God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the idea of marrying more than one wife is not biblical. And Adam only had one wife. Noah only had one wife. His three children only had one wife. But it seems with time, people strayed away from the commandments of God and their heart became hardened. You guys know in the Gospel of Matthew, God told, told them, Moses allowed you to divorce because the hardness of your heart. It means that sometime I could be blinded to the commandment of God if I start compromising in my life. And we see this a lot nowadays. A lot of people, because they want to have a simpler version of the faith or custom-made version of the faith, then fortunately they don't see the commandments of God clear. They seek a weaker version of the commandments of God. But in the New Testament, our Lord reinforced the idea, no divorce, and there's clear commandments to bishops and deacons only to have one wife. Okay? Alkana, we said God created, he had two wives. The name of Panina means peril. Peril, and we call it the peril of the world because she's a woman that can have children, so the world would look at her as, a, as valuable. And the name of Hannah means gracious woman, or a kind woman, or a loving woman. Most likely, most likely, Alkana married probably Hannah first. And because she did not give him a child, he probably married the second wife. So Hannah probably felt a bit down that he had to marry another person so that he can have children. And by the way, not having children affect you in so many ways because wealth in the old days was measured by how many children you have. No matter how much money you have, if you don't have children, children means labor, they will work. All right, and it means protection, they are your army. So if you have children, you have protection, you have army, you have money, also, you are considered a national hero because whenever there's a war, your children go. So she, Hannah, she almost felt that she is useless. But if Hannah looks at all the scripture before her, she will see that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them, their wives, did not give birth right away. They were barren for some time. It's almost like